Listener Production. Coming up today on Footy Talk, we are with Brianne Moody, two-time All-Australian Rock 2018 Best and Fairest from Carlton, talking all things about that inaugural season at Carlton, as well as the Carlton Review and a little bit in behind the scenes to that one. And we will get her tip for the AFLW prelims. You're listening to Footy Talk with Kate McCarthy and special guest, two-time All-Australian 2018 Carlton Best and Fairest, Brianne Moody. Bree, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we'll get straight into it. To start with, we're going to focus on you and your career and obviously a little crossover into horse training and racing as well, um, which I'm sure the Footy Talk listeners are very interested in. Um, to start with, let's go all the way back. Who taught you to play footy? How did you get into it? I think I'm still learning uh, how to play, <laughs> play footy. footy, so I wouldn't say I've been taught fully. Um, but, yeah, it started a while back when I was at high school. Um, went to an all-girls school, St Margaret's in Berwick, and was pretty fortunate that the head of um, sport at the time decided to put a footy team together in a all-girls school, private girls' school competition and, yeah, have a crack. So when I was in year seven, I think the team started and – we were pretty lucky to get all the way through to um, to year 12 and that was my first experience. So high school had an all-girls team. This was going back when, what sort of years would this have been? This was 2010. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so a, a long way before the AFLW. My older sister's a couple years older. Once she finished in 2012, she went to um, Cranbourne Footy Club and then once I finished high school, I, I followed her there. So yeah, I suppose my footy journey started kind of in my late teens as opposed to um, some of the players that I play alongside who did start from a much younger age. Yeah, that's fantastic. Shout out to your high school teacher that yeah. got you into it. That's great. Um, now, so you were taken by Carlton in the first AFLW draft. Big pick number 67. Um, I was 82, so you did beat me. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Um, what was it like? When did you find out? How did you find out? Did you know you were headed to Carlton before that? How did it all work? Yeah, I think Pick number 67 uh, was a bit of a shock. I did sit down with Carlton maybe two or three weeks before the draft um, with a couple other Cranny Eagles girls and my older sister. I think there was yeah five or six of us that went in and sat down and um, I had a little one-on-one with the coach, Damien Keeping and um, list manager at the time. And I think they said, this is off the back of one season of footy at Cranbourne. I think they said um, we would be looking to take either yourself or your sister probably around pick 90. And I was like, oh, well, just the thought of being picked up is pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, I suppose I was sort of so swept up in in the emotions and the excitement that I didn't really hear that it would be you or your sister. <laughs> um, I suppose, yeah, looking back now, I'm very, <laughs> very lucky it was me. Um, but it was a bit unfortunate for her at the time. But, yeah, I only interviewed with Carlton um, I think there was a little bit of interest from potentially Bulldogs or some other clubs, um, but yeah, sort of only was thinking about them leading into the draft and yeah, that, that was two or three weeks out. Hadn't really heard too much prior to the draft, um, so I was sort of going in a little bit unsure, one, whether they'll take me or Kara, two, whether they'll take me at all and um I sort of knew, okay, if it's going to happen, it'll be around pick 90. So I think I was at uni um, the draft morning and, yeah, went back to to mum and dad's after and sort of set up the iPad, got the (laughs) AFLW draft um, 
link. Really good coverage that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just sat back and, yeah, watched all the way through. I said earlier 67 was a bit of a shock because I think we were waiting to go a bit later. So when that happened, yeah, we didn't quite expect it. We we all jumped up and cheered and then we were like, oh, okay, there's we, we don't know, there still could be a chance for, for Cara to go. So we sat and watched the next however many more it was. I think there was 245 go in that very first draft. We watched all of them and unfortunately Cara didn't get picked up, which was a bit of a shame. But, um, yeah, it was it was very exciting to, to hear my name get called out. So Cara, obviously those that are familiar will think that you were talking about Celine then. So had Celine started playing footy at this stage? No, she hadn't. So so she played at school with me, yep. um, but she actually went to the army straight out of school. So I went to uni and started playing um, VFL at Cranbourne, whereas, yeah, she went off to Wagga to do her initial six-month soldier training. So, yeah, footy wasn't really on her radar. And then so Cara ended up not being picked up. Did she, she kept playing footy, obviously, and just didn't end up having those conversations with future clubs? Yeah, she actually did. So she, she kept playing at Cranbourne. Um, Cranbourne then their VFL licence, I think, got, handed to Casey Demons and they started their VFLW team. And I think Kyra was the very first signing for Casey VFLW. And I reckon she did maybe two or three weeks training and she was like, nah. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> right. And that was the end of her football yeah, career. very different to Cranny Eagles. Um, she went back to netball and yeah, has just loved playing social, um, social netball and being a part of the local club. Wow. So what a sliding doors moment. If they took her... She's potentially still playing footy. You're potentially playing somewhere else. Yeah. Now you're still on the list and she's gone back to netball. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is super life-changing for two people in the same family. Yeah, exactly. And, and to see that side by side and see how it pans out. Yeah. And then a couple of years later enters Celine Moody, which yeah. is, yeah, pretty cool as well. That's amazing. So did Celine sort of, she obviously went away to the army, then got through her training and then had obviously a little bit more time and a bit more flexibility. Did she then sort of see what you were doing and think, you know what, I could I could probably have a go at this as well? Yeah, so Celine was actually the only one of us to ever play junior footy. I think she did an under 12 season with South Belgrave Juniors and was the only girl in the team. I think even the only girl in the league, which is a story that we've heard so many times from um, the W players. And, yeah, did that one season, didn't enjoy it because she was the only girl. I think the boys were sort of like, why is she playing? Yeah, who are you? <laughs> yeah, she went off to play some different sports. But once she finished her initial training in the Army, I think it was one or two years in, she had to do her initial training and then some specialist training she actually came out and did a training session at Carlton in the VFLW alongside me. I think we've always had a very competitive um, sort of upbringing and anything I can do, she can do better. Anything she can do, I can do better. And then we look at Cara, who's a couple of years older, and anything she did, we were both having a crack at it as well. So all very competitive. And yeah, I think once Celine got a little bit of freedom in the army to go and do some sort of extracurricular stuff, um, she followed me down to Carlton VFL and... We played, yeah, a few games alongside each other before I actually went um, over to America. And then, yeah, at the end of that VFL season, she got rookie listed by the Bulldogs. It's amazing. So do you prefer, as her twin, playing with her or against her? The school footy days were pretty cool and it was Cara, Celine and I. Sort of one of us at forward, one in the mid and one in the back line. We could just, just kick, kick it to, to each, each other. other. <laughs> Three kicks from back to forward. Yeah, look, it's pretty cool to play against Celine too, um, bodying up against each other in the ruck. She always has a little whisper, something cheeky in my ear and 
we always have a laugh. It's a good game for the family to get yeah, to too. Fantastic. And obviously you were one that made your debut in that very first game. Um, we all know the lockout that occurred at Icon Park. We've had a few through the podcast actually that played in that game. Take us through the lead up to that. I know it was really unexpected to have that sort of crowd figure turn up and went out for the warm up. There wasn't quite as many. And then by the time you ran back out, what was that like? Yeah, definitely. Well, just before that, I think, yeah, they they initially scheduled it for Vic Park, which had a capacity of five or 7,000. And being in my, yeah, I suppose first year or second year of footy, first year at Carlton, um, just thought, oh my God, 7,000 people are going to come and watch our game. How cool is that? I don't think I could even picture 7,000 people. But then the week leading into it, to hear it got scheduled or changed to Icon Park because they thought they could get more than 7,000. I was, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward, we we did the on-ground warm-up. It, it looked like there was a decent atmosphere, but still quite a few empty seats. Go back in, um, like, yeah, last couple minutes and then run back out and it was full. It had changed. It was like, wow, okay, this this place is, is full. You couldn't see a, a spare seat. And it wasn't just full. There were like people standing in the aisleway. Like exactly, it was yeah. packed. Like yeah. there was, OH&S would have had a huge problem with that. There was way too many people yeah, in the I, stadium. I think they did have to, they definitely um, gave unders on the number because they were like, we're going to get fined if we say how many <laughs> tickets we actually let in. Um, but yeah, Loz Arnell was really good to us when we, when we sort of went out in the race. She said, like, just take it in, go out, have a look around, take some deep breaths and take it in because this is something that's probably not going to happen for um, for a very long time to see this place full. So, um, yeah, really grateful to her that that she sort of made us appreciate the moment. And um, I started that game on the bench, I think, so I had an extra few minutes to really <laughs> take it in, let the let the girls go out there and do their thing and, and take the heat out of it a little bit. It was pretty amazing. And then quarter time address. I probably should have been listening to <laughs> the coach, but I could hear um, I could hear Gil McLaughlin over the speakers saying, we've had to lock the gates, we've had to shut the gates. And I just thought, oh, wow, that's, that's not something I ever would have expected to happen. You guys obviously went on to play a pretty good season that year, the first year, and then the third season of AFLW made it through to the grand final. In that game, you got to play in front of, I think, around 60-odd thousand, 50? Yeah, I think it was about 50, 50 and 60. 55,000. How was that at the Adelaide Oval? That was a huge atmosphere, that one. Yeah, I didn't think it could beat um, that very first game at Icon Park, but, yeah, running out to Adelaide Oval seemed like it was pretty full as well, was um, was pretty special. I think there was probably, yeah, around 50, 55,000 people there, maybe 54,000 Adelaide supporters, so <laughs> couldn't hear the couldn't hear the Carlton faithful too much. Um, but yeah, pretty incredible to be a part of that. And I think it's, yeah, made me only hungrier to have that experience again. You've probably been part of the two biggest games in AFLW history, really. Those two that have been played. There was one over at Fremantle that I think had in the first game at Optus Stadium, it had around those crowd numbers as well. But you've been fortunate to be a part of two of the biggest games probably in AFLW history. If we fast forward now to where the Blues are at this point, you're probably one of the few inaugural Blues that are left. I think there's maybe four of you. No, there's only the three. Three. So it's yourself, Darcy and Gab. Gab. Yep. So the three of you left. Obviously, there's been lots of change in personnel, in off-seasons, um, in coaching staff as well. You've seen the change of three coaches now? You've had three coaches? Yeah, three, yep. yeah. How have you seen the progression of the Blues and the dips in the seasons and riding that wave at a club that you've been at now for eight seasons? 
It has definitely been a roller coaster. I think after that second, the second season when we, yeah, got a new coach, new staff at the club, I sort of thought, oh, I don't think this happens too often. And then to go through it again, um, last, yeah, end of last season was pretty full on. We we had a review done. I think we were one of the first AFLW clubs or the first AFLW club to um, do a full review of the program. So with that came new coach three new assistant coaches, new staff. I think there's only one full-time staff member who was with us from the start. New game plan, new resourcing. Um, yeah, leading into the review, I think it was it was pretty daunting. You don't didn't really know what the outcome was going to be. Um, but coming out the other side, like it's it's been awesome to see the change and we accept that the season wasn't where we wanted it to be and we've got a lot, lot of work to do, but um, I'm very excited to be a part of it for the next few years. And we hear a lot about footy reviews and a lot of clubs that go through it in the men's programs. They do full reviews of their clubs. External people come in and conduct the review, but no one really knows what, what it's like. What was, your, what was your experience with that external review process? What actually happens? Yeah, so for me, I had a one-on-one with the person who was going through the review. So I um, he just asked a bunch of questions. And and this is a complete stranger. You don't know anything about him. Never met him, walked yep. into a meeting room. He was lovely, made it um, quite comfortable for me to be vulnerable and, and tell him sort of what I'd been through for the last six seasons prior, um, seven seasons prior to that meeting. And um, yeah, he just asked a lot of questions, asked a lot of questions multiple different ways. <laughs> Maybe I hadn't responded as with the, with the answers as such as he wanted, but yeah. Um, yeah, he. I, it was just pretty much a, a conversation and he did that with not only myself, I think nearly half of the playing group, definitely the leadership group, um, a lot of staff and execs at the club too. And then he, I think, might have observed a little bit of, around the club and then pretty much goes away and writes up his big review, his recommendations and, um, yeah, sort of gives that back to the club and it's up to them what they choose to do with it whether they follow those recommendations or whether they don't. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Carlton's done a done a pretty good job of, um, yeah, being transparent with us, what those recommendations were. Did they get presented back to you guys as a group then? They did, yeah, they did. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're given constant updates, what we have already achieved, um, what we're still working to and, and what that looks like in terms of um, what they're doing at the club to achieve that and... Um, how long they think it should take. So So it sounds like the program's in a really good place with they've got real, I guess, goals and a, a future plan, which we sort of hear a little bit with AFLW, what the plan is moving forward and where it's actually going because it's so new. Um, no one really knows where to go with the league and what's happening. So it sounds like Carlton has some really good parameters that they're holding the club accountable to as well. Definitely, yeah, I would agree with that. I think, yeah, with the start of the AFLW there wasn't really anything in place to go off. Uh, it's nobody's fault that we sort of ended up not as successful as we wanted in those first few years. Um, I think every club was sort of throwing people in different positions, um, doing it how they thought was best. But, um, yeah, I've never felt more confident in our club and the support that we've had from the whole of club whilst going through this process has been so good. And touching on that, throwing people in all different positions, so you typically played as a ruck, basically most, like all of your career really, um, to All-Australians as the starting ruck. Congratulations on that to start with. You've been thrown forward um, just to sort of, I guess, 
create another element to your game and Jess Good is coming through and you've obviously, I would say, played a pretty big part mentoring her and helping her develop her ruck craft. What's it like now sitting in the forward line, playing a different position as well as chopping out through the ruck as well? Yeah, pushing up forward was something, uh, I suppose, in the preseason I was really pushing for. Um, I had a couple chats with Bucky and obviously him being a new coach, he was sort of like, oh, I don't don't know how I feel about our all-Australian ruck going into the forward line. Um, But I think he could sort of see some little bits um, being put together in in the preseason and he decided to back me in and and give it a go. Um, But, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge. I think being in the ruck, you get so used to being around the footy, getting your hands on the footy, even if it's not a disposal as such, but just to hit out. You just feel a lot more involved, whereas up forward it can feel a little bit quiet at times. If you don't kick goals, you sort of don't think you're doing too much. But, um, yeah, I've had a lot of support from from the club and um, Bucky and the the team that I am, even though when I, even though I'm not scoring, I'm still doing um, my role and, yeah, I'm excited to keep developing that. And who played the major part in your development as a ruck? Um, obviously now you're taking the liberty to help younger girls at the club, but it's such a specialist position. Who actually taught you a lot of your ruck craft? Yeah, we've had a lot of people um, come into the club over the years, different coaches, um, some former players. But to be quite honest, I sort of credit it to to mum and dad. I'm a tall, strong girl and <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I got that off them. They're both... Um, quite tall, strong people. So yeah, I suppose once I learned how to throw my body around, yeah, that sort of helped me, um, helped me, yeah, with the success that I've had as a ruck. But yeah, I still look at players that we've got in the competition and think, oh, wow, they can do that. I'm going to have a crack at that, um, older or younger. So I think it's those, those peers and players around me that are helping me develop as well. Yeah, and on that, we will be back after the break to touch a little bit more on mum and dad, so moody racing as well, um, and also chatting a little bit about the prelim finals that are coming up. So stick with us on Footy Talk. Welcome back to Footy Talk, your daily dose of footy, the latest news, interviews and analysis from the world of AFLW. We are with Star Ruck and now part-time forward Brianne Moody uh, from the Carlton Football Club. And Moods, you touched a little bit on mum and dad and how, thanks to the, your genetics, you're nice and tall and strong. But another sort of string to their bow is obviously Moody Racing. Um, your dad known for training black caviar, which is probably one of the most famous horses in Australia. Tell us a little bit about either the spring racing carnival that just came up or even just growing up around sort of racing and being in that lifestyle. Yeah, I'm very grateful that for the upbringing that I've had being around horses, I was able to go to pony club and do show jumping and whatnot growing up. So I suppose that's why my start to footy was a bit later. I was- so you were the horse girl at high school? Not the crazy horse girl, okay. but the yep. cool horse girl. Was Celine the crazy horse girl? Or? No, Celine's allergic to horses, oh. funnily enough. She had to wear goggles to Pony Club. <laughs> I'll try and find you a photo. Please, goggles at Pony Club. That's something we need. Um, but, yeah, I suppose that's why I started footy a little bit later. It was always with the horses out in the paddock. Yeah, growing up, we'd follow Dad into the track and annoy the staff play with the horses. It was awesome. And yeah, since the, the footy season's just finished, I've already been to a couple race days, which has, um, yeah, been nice and fun to unwind. But that's sort of as far as my commitment is, I suppose. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the credit and I'll celebrate the wins, um, but I, I'm not too involved uh, anymore. Um, 
on Black Caviar, what was the hype around the family at that point? Because that was a huge black time in Australian horse racing. I'm not someone that's super invested in horse racing, but even I knew all about Black Caviar's record, what was going on. Um, how was that? That would have been pretty big. It was amazing. Yeah, I think we were we were a little bit younger. We weren't 18, so we weren't going to the races and, I don't know, having drinks throughout the day and, and really celebrating it. Um, but yeah, we were a bit younger. Mum and dad were really good to us in that they sort of explained to us, this doesn't happen very often. I think initially it was, yeah, wow, this is, this could be a really good horse. And then she won 10 out of 10. I think we expected dad home from the races at maybe six or seven o'clock. He usually picks up fish and chips on the way home, but he had to call and say it wasn't happening because he was staying at the races for three or four hours post, just signing black caviar flags and, race books for people and we thought, wow, 10 out of 10, okay, that's, yeah, that's incredible. We'll, we'll try and really appreciate it. And then for her to get out to, oh, this sounds really bad, 25 out of 25 or 26, I think. Um, no, I think it was 25. Um, yeah, we, we wouldn't have thought that would ever happen. Um, but, yeah, so special. Huge. Um, now let's get into the finals that have just gone. So um, huge upset yesterday. So Melbourne now out of the AFLW finals in straight sets. Was that a bit of a shock to you? It was definitely a shock to me. I think, um, yeah, over the weekend, I heard a couple people saying that they think it's going to happen. They're going to go out in straight sets, but I just couldn't see it. We played them in a practice game preseason. And from then I thought, yeah, wow, they're going to be the benchmark. And they were looking every bit of it until the finals. They really were. They were the benchmark pretty much through the whole home and away season um, and then dropped that game to Brisbane coming into the finals and then lost their two finals and they would have been bitterly disappointed, not only obviously with the loss but the way in which they probably lost both games um, really failed to turn up against North and then left everything to the last quarter, nearly got it done. But I think now the competition's in a place and you'd be able to talk to this as well where if you don't turn up for the whole game, you can't win games anymore. You used to be able to and rely on your strengths at late in the game to really claw back some differences or things that you'd left out there. But now you really do need to put on the old footy cliche, the four-quarter effort to actually win games in the AFLW. Exactly, yeah. The the last quarter that they had, the freedom that they played with, the fight that they had, if they had brought that from the start, no doubt they would have won that game. Um, but yeah, Geelong capitalised on on their opportunities and I would say that, yeah, they probably played their best four-quarter game that they have all season and, yeah, they absolutely deserve their spot next week. And then Adelaide getting the job done over Sydney who had a fantastic season coming from no wins to then making the semis. But one player in particular that I was really impressed with in that game was Jess Allen. Her ruck work in that game was fantastic. I think I mean, Anne Hatchard had the record for disposals in a final, so you can't really say she didn't wasn't the best on ground. But Jess Allen, elite ruck work. She's also spent a bit of time in the army, hasn't she, with your sister? I think she has. I think she has, yeah. yeah. Took a fair few seasons off to focus on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I think her performance shows the importance of a ruck and the importance of getting those hit-outs to advantage as well. She seemed to really get this combo with Danielle Ponta going on. Is there anyone at the Blues that you really have started to build a really nice combination with with your taps or with their work in the midfield? Oh, I wouldn't say I favour anybody in particular, but we've got some, yeah, awesome midfielders, Mimi Hill, Abby McKay, to be able to deliver the footy to them, um, hopefully more often than I don't. Um, it's pretty cool, yeah. So to to be able to develop that partnership over the next few years, hopefully it's something that maybe you'll be talking about with 
with somebody else on this podcast in a couple of years. <laughs> and with the, the prelim obviously coming up this weekend, so we've got Brisbane taking on Geelong on the Saturday night up in Brisbane. Who's your tip for that one? I reckon Brisbane. Geelong have had, yeah, an awesome season, awesome start to the finals campaign, but I reckon it's Brisbane. And then the other one, obviously, North Melbourne taking on Adelaide Crows. That is going to be a blockbuster. Not that the first final won't be, but two teams that played very recently. It was a two-point loss to North Melbourne. Um, where do you see that one going down? Yeah, I think that'll be a very close game. I would love to see North get up. I reckon I reckon they could go all the way. Um, they sort of, yeah, I suppose, eased into, I wouldn't say eased into the, the final series, but they've really stepped it up since they've got into the finals. And um, I think it'd be pretty cool for a for a team that hasn't won before to take out the competition. So you're tipping a Brisbane North grand final and North getting over the line? Yeah, I think so. That's it. You heard it here first. That's what's happening in the <laughs> AFLW Premiership this year. Well, Bree, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to chat to you about all things footy. Remember, you're listening to Footy Talk. If you're listening on Spotify, make sure you hit the bell. Best of luck next season with the Blues and a huge off-season, obviously, to play out now. We've got, what, 10 months till you start again? Long time. Um, Good luck with it all and thank you so much for coming in. Listener.